Before we get started, I want to talk about sponsors that help make this show possible. I've partnered with swimming companies that can serve our international audience. Destro Swim Towers. Gain strength in the water with a tower of power. Save $150 per double swim tower by using code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T, at checkout. DestroMachines.com. Swim Angelfish. Receive the tools and skills needed to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions with Swim Angelfish. Go to swimangelfish.com. Superior Swim Timing. Run a swim meet with ease from your laptop. SST is fully compatible with high-tech, Team Unify, as well as Colorado, Dactronics, and Amiga touchpads. SuperiorSwimTiming.com The Magic 5. Custom-fitted goggles that are tailor-made for your exact face. You shouldn't feel like you're wearing any goggles. Use code BRETTHAWK20 at checkout to receive 20% off. Nate's come out with another awesome tool for the swimming community. It's called Swim Nerd Live, and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart TV, phone, or other device. It has all the information you're looking for. Event, heat, lane, name of swimmer, times and places. One click on any device and they're watching your swim meet live in real time. Go to swimpractice.com to learn more. All right, Greg Bennett, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you? Oh, mate, Brett, thanks for having me, mate. It, it took us a little while, but here we are. I oh, know. Listen, uh, I've been I've been wanting to do this ever since I did your show because you invited me on your um, amazing podcast, the Greg Bennett Show. So if anyone well, is out that there, back in March, was that? Yeah, I it was a while back. Started recording. Sorry, mate. I was actually going to tell everybody what episode that was. Probably around about sixty, episode sixty, I'd say. Yeah, no, it was brilliant, mate. And yeah. ever since then, I, I I thought to myself that was one of the best interviews I've ever done because it wasn't an interview; it was a conversation. And but you yeah. just you just had it down, man. And um. So listen, anyone that's out there who wants a great podcast to go to, um, incredible stuff you're doing. Oh, there. you're too kind. You're too kind, mate. But for everybody out there, Brett and I go backwards and forwards. We're both in this podcast world. We mm -hmm. share ideas. We have a lot of fun. Um, we were actually connected by, uh, do you remember the guy's name that connected us on Instagram? Said so you guys should have each other on each other's oh, show. Yeah, someone did oh, I'm so sorry. He's probably listening right now and now I look like a real idiot. Um, anyway. <laughs> To him, thank you. He was from uh, Puerto Rico, right? I think. Oh, right. Yeah, I know. I get that a lot, but I mean, that, that, that was awesome how, that he did. I was like, that's a great idea. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, mate, that was a while back, and that was a really cool episode. So it's been great to have you on my show, mm. understand the swimming world a little bit better, um, and get a really good insight of what it took in your own career to get to what you're doing, you know, yeah. you've been and what you've done. So, you know, to be here is really special. So well, mate, I'm not big on introductions and uh, and I'm not even big on research because I don't like to fill my head with other people's <laughs> stuff. So I was doing some research about you today just to get the lay of the land. And uh, and I was going through your, your stats. I'm like, I can't read all this. This is ridiculous. So I pulled out the stats that I was really impressive to me. So here's the one that I loved. All right. 
So it's you were voted triathlete of the year by Triathlete Magazine in 2003 and 2007. Is that a worldwide publication? Well, it was, but as we know, magazines are, these mm. days, I mean, there's still Triathlete Magazine online and things. And uh, look, for me, some of those recognition things that you get that aren't so much uh, crossing line first or whatever, but they're, yeah. you know, the media or anybody else that says, you know, you've had a remarkable year and a little yeah. pat on the back. Um, they're, they're very, very special when you get those little awards. And, and honestly, it's a little write-up in a magazine. It's not any more than that. But, but listen, it, mate, there's I a lot of swimmers in the world and there's a lot of triathletes, you know, to be voted the best out of all of them. <laughs> like that's, that's nice, you know. Uh, it is nice, mate. I, I have always been somebody that I don't care if it's a kid on the sideline that wants a photo or an autograph mm. or a magazine publication that wants to sort of shout your name, but any recognition. Yeah, I mean, I love it. I mean, I'd be a fool not to, right? I mean, and so, you know, I've had some great people along the way that have supported me and people that have shouted out and said, Greg, you're doing great things. And um, for me, that was what fueled me. Uh, you know, I had 29 years racing professionally and a lot of that was because I got the pats on the back, because I got those little bits of recognition along the way. And uh, I'm incredibly grateful for it. I really am. That's another thing. That was another stat I wrote down. I only wrote down two stats. The other one was you competed for t professionally for 29 years. I was like, I was, I had to reread. I was like, did, did he stop at age 29? <laughs> no, you actually competed for 29 well, years. This, this is where swimming and triathlon are very different, right? I mean, you know, I, you Tell me if I'm wrong, but I think most swimmers are sort of they have that nice five to maybe out to 10 year window for a strong yeah. career. Um, triathletes, we kind of look at it as, you know, we have our late teens, potentially you're starting and then your 20s, you're, you're fast and, you know, you're quite aggressive racer. And then in right. your 30s, you build that aerobic endurance and that strength. And then for me, I took it into my early 40s and mainly because I didn't know what else I wanted to do and I was still performing well. Um, so, you know, I was very, very fortunate to, to go as long as I did. Yeah, I mean, crazy. It said you had over 500 pro triathletes. So, like, did you just sleep in between triathlons for a few years there? It was like, <laughs> take a day off, rest, do another triathlon. Like, how well, do you, you know rack up like, 500? Well, you know what it's like being an Australian. So, we're in the Southern Hemisphere. We've got the Southern Summers. Mm. And then you go international, which is all, you know, Europe and the North America. So, we would race in Australia in the 90s there in the, in the Grand Prix series and everything down there. Um, and the Grand Prix, we'd often have super sprint races. You know, they'd be down at Manly Beach or whatever, and there'd be a 20-minute race followed by a 10-minute break and then a 20-minute race. And you do a couple of those. And, and you'd race all summer in Australia. And, you know, you'd race 15 to 20 times just in that summer. And then you'd go straight overseas, usually starting with Japan, make your way up to Europe, join a French club or a, I was racing for a Czech club for a number of years race all of those plus the world series by the time you got to september october you're pretty pretty shattered um mm -hmm. you take maybe a month off and you start your australian season again and you just repeated 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 and and so for me in my 20s it was a lot a lot of racing but it was that's how i learned my craft you know it was the ability to to race often in my 20s that then got me ready for more success in my 30s my 30s was really we call them we call them the golden 30s in triathlon it's when you hit the 30s everything starts to align and the bigger titles and things start to become closer. You, 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 um, you have a lot more wins and it, it's for me, I tell every young professional triathlete, hang out through your twenties, do your best you can get as much experience as you can. And then boom, you'll be ready for your thirties. And that's when really the magic can happen in our sport, um, which is probably different to swimming um, in the sense in, tell me if I'm wrong again, but I feel like swimming, you guys start young, mm -hmm. much younger than us triathletes. And 
And the dedicated swimmers find it pretty early and they stay dedicated all the way through their teens that by the time they get to their 20s, many are kind of, I'm pretty fried and sure. um, because they've been pushing so hard for so long. Uh, well, I, that, that was the case, but I imagine now with the, with the money that's in triathlon and, and the, the ability to compete all over the world, like you're saying, that everybody's specializing these days, man. Like everyone wants their kid to be the next world champion. So there must be, yeah. there must be kids being groomed now for triathlon to say, well, you're going to be the next kind of thing. Is that the way it's going? It's going more there, there. There is a lot of grooming, but a lot of it is also looking at swimming and running, especially. Um, you know, a lot of the the people that are out there trying to find the next great triathlete are looking at some of the great swimmers really? um, that, that can potentially run as well. Um, right, and that's, right. that's largely because the Olympic format in triathlon is draft legal, so you can slipstream on the bike and sa save energy. And what happens is the first out of the water, there's usually a small group away of great swimmers that all work together on the bike. And then whoever has some ability on the run can generally win. Um, very rarely is a great triathlete in the Olympic distance format for the Olympics coming from a biking background, mm. maybe a running background, but so long as they swam when they were kids. But really the swimmers are making up the greats of our sport. I don't um, know how, maybe, because I don't know any swimmers that can run. I mean, swimmers are donkeys on them. You know what you guys have are some of the biggest engines. Right. Because you are young and you've worked hard. Swimmers have big engines, big heart and lungs, and they have all the discipline in the world from True. swimming up and down a black line. True. You give that to any coach in any sport, I mean, that's just magic, isn't it? I mean, you grab, you grab a, a teenage kid or a 20-year-old kid that's been swimming for 10 to 15 years, got all the discipline in the world, all the massive engine, they know how to work hard, and then it's just you've got to be very gentle in turning them into a runner. And that, what I mean by gentle is, well, your chassis is not ready for that engine that you've got. Your running legs aren't ready. And so it takes time then for that swimmer to develop into a runner, but they can. And, and you see it now, especially in the women. The, the great women of the world all come from swimming backgrounds. Really? Well, well, this is interesting because, you know, most of my audience are swimmers and I'm sure some of them, they're not all going to be Olympians, but some of them might think to themselves, oh, triathlon sounds interesting, but I'm, I'm a swimmer, so I'm not going to be yeah, able to get go. into that. Give it a go. You'll be you'll be really surprised. Swimmers pick up the bike real quick. Um, like I said, you guys have got big engines, so you just pick up. You've got the power, and then really it's just learning the bi biomechanics of running and running well. Um, so yeah, if you want to give triathlon a go, give it a go. And I know there's a lot of countries out there that are looking for the next great triathlete. Um, but you know, don't give up on your on your swimming dreams either. But it could cross over pretty well. I don't know. Well, what was it for you? I mean, were you the swimmer, the runner, the the cyclist, and then and then <laughs> how the did you how'd you get pulled in? <laughs> I was the average Joe at everything, mate. I, you know what? I came from a rugby family. Um, my older brother was uh, first fifteen rugby. Um, I went to Newington, so not far from where you grew up. I yeah, think. I grew up. I went to Waverley College. Yeah. Oh, you went to Waverley? Okay, mm -hmm. so yeah, very uh, very close. And so you know, first fifteen rugby was everything right. in the eighties. That was. And my brother was played halfback, wing, uh, winger, and fullback, and he ended up playing a couple of years professional rugby. And all I want to do is be rugby. Oh yeah, I just wanted to be great. I wanted to be great at sport. We were a sports mad family, mm. and um, I never won a running race at school. I, I never won a swimming race. That's for sure. I didn't start swimming until I was fifteen, sixteen. I mean, I could swim, but I was in the surf. And um, but then I found triathlon, and I think for me. Triathlon helped me get through those very insecure teenage years, you know, those high school years where mm. we're all trying to fit in. And, and I was always the smaller kind of kid and, um, 
you know, like I said, I was in the 13 E's for rugby. You know, <laughs> I wanted to be in 13 A's. I was just me too, mate. Me too. I wasn't big enough. I wasn't strong enough. I didn't have yeah. the agility. And then I found this sport of triathlon and um, I just loved it. And it was just, I got these small little pats on the back. And and I think that was just it. I, I found my home in triathlon. And it really wasn't until several years later that, you know, I was starting to go, oh, here's a little, you know, wing check for 500 bucks for winning the Tari triathlon or whatever. And I started to get these little bits. And and triathlon in the late 80s, there was really starting to take off. It had become this trendy new mm-hmm thing and what is it i remember yeah and then i had a lot of luck in throughout my career so by 22 i was finishing university and there was a series called the two is blue grand prix in, in 1994 and i qualified for that that was live tv throughout australia i was racing the very best in the world greg walsh brad bevan these guys were all world champions and and i was racing him every single weekend and that was that accelerated my career big time but really if i said i was probably a runner but not a right. great one, um, right. answering your question. I know I went everywhere just then. But basically, I'd say I was more of a runner. But then my swimming, because I just really was a disciplined person, it really accelerated. So I'd swim, you know, 5 to 6K in the morning with Graham Brewer. I don't know if you know Graham mm, Brewer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so he Very was good. in the the four by the mean machine, wasn't he, uh, Brewer, in the 80s there? Have you had him on your podcast, mate? Graham Brewer. I haven't. I need to get him. <laughs> He's another one. He's now coaching up in Musa, but – he coached me and uh, I actually was more of a sprint swimmer. I got my sprint, nothing like what you're talking about, but I got it down to sort of 26, 27 for the, for the 53, which meant I was a reason for a triathlete. That was quite fast. Um, and so I could position myself pretty well in the front end of these races. And, uh, and then the bike came a bit later and then the run, you know, but anybody will tell you a triathlete, basically your swim will go up, your run will go down, your bike will go up. And it's trying to get that right balance between the three. Um, and that took a lot of time for me. I was a, I was a pretty slow learner if you think about it. <laughs> Mate, I, I got to tell you, like I swam, right? And, and my event goes for 22 seconds on a good day, right? 22 seconds. But I'm training four hours a day. Oh. Your event goes for a couple of hours. So how on earth do you train for a triathlon? How do you balance the swimming, the running, the biking, and still be able to go to school and, you know, listen in English class or, you know, go to university or or hold down a, a job or, you know, mm. how do you do anything other than triathlon when you're doing it? Yeah, that's a really good question. And for a lot of people, they don't do it very well. They do, they do get um, too consumed, you right. know, by the sport. And, and you do see it, especially with age group, as we call them, or amateurs that come in the sport and our mm. sport is driven by the age group it's uh, a lot of age groupers and amateurs in it and they do often jump into the ironman distance you know the the 3.8k swim 180k bike 42k run as a bucket list thing you know because they want to go to the office and and say i've done ironman and and that's a big strain on their own on their personal lives on their work on their families It, it, it is a lot to train for something of that magnitude for for me as a professional athlete um you know, you've got the time in the day to train the anywhere from 20 to probably to 35 hours a week. Um, and then you throw in some recovery. It's not probably very different to what you did. All it is is the heart and lung doesn't know what you're doing, right? right. If you think about it, the heart and lung doesn't know if you're swimming, biking, or running. It's going to go to work and yep. it's either doing VO2 work or it's doing aerobic work or whatever it is, lactic threshold. And 
And so you're just sort of balancing it up between the three of them. And so you could say to some degree, that's why a triathlete is not going to take on an Olympic swimmer in a 1500 meter swimming race, you know, we're, because we're doing the other two sports, but you do just manage it by saying, okay, where am I weak and where are my weapons? You know, and I'm a big advocate of focusing on your we uh, weapons and then just sort of mitigating your, your, your weaknesses. Um, but you, you know, you look at the sport of swimming, well, it's less damaging on the body than say running, you know, running can really beat you up. And so you go, well, hang on, I can get my heart and lungs working, you know, in the pool, seven days a week, 5K a swim or more, and it's not damaging me too much, but I'm getting great aerobic conditioning from it. So you might focus a little bit more on your swimming. Uh, the biking also, it's it's non-weight bearing potentially, you know, you're just pedaling and it's, it's a strength focus. So you can go, well, I can probably do, you know, 15 to 20 hours a week on the bike um, without it damaging. The mm. run, which wins 90% of the races, you still got to really focus on. So the way I would always do it is I'd build the program around the run and then layer in the bike and the swim around that. So I'd make sure my key run workouts, I was fresh for them and I would recover from them well. And then I'd pad the week with the swim and bike. Everybody's different though. I mean, you know, you come over to the sport, we're going to have to do a whole heap of things for you that, that'll be totally different. Um, the way I would work with a lot of people, if I'm working with school kids, you know, at the end of the day, an hour a morning of something and a half hour after school or something, it's mm. plenty. If you're doing that six to six days a week, that's right. more than enough. Um, but, you know, as, as we were talking before the show, you know, parents get involved and they want mm. them to be the next world champion and they push sure. and push and push and push. And it's like, sure. no, they're going to be done by, they're going to be done before they're 22. Um, that's in triathlon as well then, eh? Oh, man, it's fucking crazy. Parents, it's unbelievable. It's, and look, now I'm a parent of a one and three year old. And of course I think my kids are the greatest and everything. They do. You know, I get, I get the psychology. The they're, they're in the pool already. You know what's, you know what's funny? <laughs> this is embarrassing and I probably shouldn't say it. So, we never talk, tri we, both my yeah. wife and I, my wife is also, was also a professional triathlete and we haven't talked about triathlon since 2016. Now, in saying that, I do have a podcast where I interview a lot of triathletes. Sure. My little daughter, who is three, a remarkable little swimmer, actually. She's just a fish, mainly because we were in Florida for COVID, so we were in lockdown the whole time in the right. yeah. backyard pool. And she loves to bike and loves to run. And uh, and I said, Daddy, I'm a triathlete. I couldn't believe it. I asked <laughs> no. But I was actually like thinking, well, maybe, maybe you could be a little triathlete if you want to do it. But, you know, I'd prefer you to play tennis and go to, you know, Wimbledon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, much I'm going to crack open a beer, mate. I, I'm going to – it's actually sure. non-alcoholic beer. Sorry oh, for the plug. Love it. These guys, Athletic Brewing, everybody. Oh, there it is. Nice. Yeah, I that, like that. Little plug. Um. I was going to say to you, is there, there's different distances in triathlon. Are there rivalries between the distances? You know, you've got your, you got your sprinters, your, your, your Olympic distances, and then you've got your ultra marathons. Is there a tension between the two? Not so much a tension. I think, uh, I think everybody's trying to become, if you think about everybody's trying to get the recognition, they're trying to get the partners. And sure. so there's probably a little bit of where's the money going, you know, when mm. you're a professional athlete, that does matter. Um, you know, you can win the Olympic gold medal, but the media might still be following Kona Ironman world champion, you know, and, uh, and I think it tends to be a lot of Olympic distance, the shorter course athletes, 
move into the Ironman and the longer distance racing as they get older. Um, really? Yeah, it's more of an age thing. It's just aerobic conditioning and strength. Uh, I didn't. I did. A, I did a couple of Ironmans and and you know maybe fifteen or so half Ironmans, um, but I just didn't love them. <clears throat> I, I I like the head to head battles and the you know the short course racing is really that you know you, you're running shoulder to shoulder with people and uh, and that's what I loved. I loved that all out sprinting and um, so I. That wasn't my thing to go to long course, but I also, if I wanted bigger sponsorships and endorsements, it was if you win Kona Ironman World Championships, that, that that's where the money's going to go. Um, really? Maybe. Look, if you win the Olympic gold medal and you're quite good at marketing yourself, it'll go there next. But it's uh, insane that out, someone like an Alistair Brownlee's done very well because he's won back-to-back gold medals in 2012 and 2016. But in general the sport leans towards the Ironman more than the Olympics. Why is that? Is is that because the average person can do it and they're attracted to it? It's like it can pull in the general population because it's like the trendy thing to do? No, I think think it's more the Ironman is like our Tour de France in cycling. Um, The Ironman Kona is the the holy grail of our sport. The Olympics came in a lot later for triathlon in uh, 2000. was the first time we were at the Olympics for triathlon. So it's been in there for 20 years now, but it's taken, it's also the, the amateur um, who really rule our sport and decide where the focus is going to go. They can all enter Ironman 70.3s and Ironmans. And so they can race shoulder to shoulder with any professional any weekend. Whereas mm. the Olympics and the Olympic distance and the World Series is very exclusive to those athletes. They might put on amateur races around on the same weekend, but they're never on the start line with, you know, everybody else. Like you can turn up to an Ironman now and, you know, when I was racing professionally, I, you could have a, a mass start of 1,500, 2,000, 3,000 people. Um, so the amateurs are with the professionals and they can compare themselves and it's, and that's what makes the sport very unique and I think that's what makes that long course racing especially very special that the amateurs are rubbing shoulders um, mm. with the pros and they can compare times and, and all of that stuff. So I think there's a lot of that. Um, but yeah, and I think the world series, which has, you know, focuses on the Olympics, um, yeah, maybe a little bit exclusive, but they're also the ones that harness and help develop the youth and, um, you know, the ITU, the international triathlon union do a really great job of making it a global sport, creating access for underprivileged, all of that kind of thing. They do a pretty good job at. Wow. Geez. I didn't realize that, that you could line up next to the pros. I mean, there's got to be some preference preferential treatment of some sort doesn't there like this like there's not a pro 10 10 deep you know and like well i mean think times have changed a little bit it was it did used to be you know mass starts but they they have sort of made it so they put it in waves now and i mean but still if you're in a way you know you're five minutes behind but you're still doing the same race you'll see me out in the course we'll high five each other as we run past each other and you know during the marathon or whatever it is and um, or even races like Chicago, which is an Olympic distance race, or New York or Dallas or um, LA. Some of these are massive, you know, 8,000 people turn up and they have to put them in waves just to for congestion on the course. Um, but that, I, I do think that's one of the really special features about triathlon and triathletes is that we all get to do it together, you know. I mean, I think swimming is very much a quite an individual event, you know, and you even stay in your own lane. And uh, oh, here's a question for you. Yeah. I love swimming. I, I I watch it all the time, and I just think it's brilliant. Do you think we should maybe get rid of lane lines? 
That would be interesting. I've, I've thought of that too. Wouldn't it I be watch cool? I track and field all the time and they're running around the track <laughs> and there's a little bit elbow barge. I think oh, we could add so many great tactics to swimming. I think we should get rid of lane lines for some events. Wouldn't it be fun if for 50 free at the Olympics, it was just one lap, they didn't have lane lines, yeah. and they just said, whoever gets the other end first, that's it, no rules. Imagine the, the, <laughs> the flip turn. You call them tumble turns or flip turns? What do you flip do? turns, yeah. Flip turns. Um, imagine that, everybody flipping at the same time. Imagine like the 400 medley. Imagine doing backstroke over Oh, yeah. <laughs> be a free-for-all. That, that <laughs> there be you fun. go. There we go. That would be more fun to watch. <laughs> So I, there is that going on in triathlon, right? Like, can you actually swim over the top of someone in triathlon? Of course, yeah. I mean, it doesn't do you or the other person you're swimming over any favors, but um, it. I mean, look at the end of the day, it happens. It's not people aren't trying to swim over each other. It just it happens. I mean, you got your head in your water, you know what it's like, and you can't really. It's just bubbles and feet and, feet and arms and splashing and suddenly your hands on somebody else's back and oh my hand just grabbed their shoulder what do i do do i lift my hand up or do i get a good stroke and a good lever mm. you generally take the lever right so that you get a nice pushback they're now underwater they're now getting swum over by the people that were behind you absolutely and i've been that guy i've been both i've been the one that's had my hand there and it's like the choice is do you let your stroke slip which means now you're going backwards or do you take the stroke even though you've landed it and i've been the guy that has had the arm on my shoulder or my head and pushed me under and you know had and the problem with that is, you know, you're often sprinting triathlon. The first two to 300 meters is all flat out for positioning. So you're absolute redlining. And then they often have the, the first turn buoy, buoy, depending on who we're talking about, um, about two to 300 meters away, 90 degree turn, 75 professional guys all hitting that swim buoy boy, at the same time. It, 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 it can be quite tough and vicious in there. And you've got to really almost swim a little bit more upper body water polo, like, you know, be ready to be hit. Right. Um, but knowing your heart rate's 180 and you, and, and when you do go under, which happens quite a bit, um, it's scary because you, you do go into a little bit of panic because you can't get a breath in and you're absolutely redlining. And it's happened to everybody. Um, they are trying to police a lot more of that than probably what I had in the eighties, nineties and, and noughties. They're trying to get on top of that a lot more, but you know, it, it can happen. And, and most of the time it's, it's really just an accident. People aren't trying to do that. Um, but yeah, it is something you got to practice uh, and get used to getting hit. Um, and in your twenties, it's almost like you, you didn't mind it. You know, that rugby mindset, you, right. you want to be hit. But then when you got into your late thirties, like, Oh, just leave me alone. I don't want to be hit. Leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you then take out the variables? How do you, how do you get to a point where you're consistently winning, where you get to the starting line and you're like, this could happen today. That could happen. I mean, barring anything major, you know what I mean? But like, how do you get consistency in those, in that situation for you? Well, it's funny that we mentioned, you know, I probably did 500 races plus. Right. I think I can probably look at five of them that I say we're, we're near perfect. There was, mm. it's pretty good. And that's very different than swimming where you guys, it's, it's, you have that 50 meter, 100, whatever you're doing. And, and you're looking for that absolute perfect every time you race as well, but there's far less variables. It's you, the water, the dive, the whatever you're doing. Oh, listen, Matt, I agree with you though. There's probably three or four times in my whole career where I felt like that was as good as it could have gone. Yeah. yeah, just everything clicked. Yeah. yeah. And and so we try to learn that it can be you, but then there's also the outside variables of, mm -hmm. of your competitors. And yes, definitely in the swim, you know, you could be swimming just unbelievably, incredibly good, but 
you could just be taken down in that first two to three hundred and be pushed to the back, and now you're playing, you know, playing catch up. Um, and other times, you know, whatever happens for whatever reason, you get on the right wake, you you you're on the right guy's feet, and you get you get around the boy, and you're like, geez, I didn't get touched. That was awesome. Right. You know, I'm in the top five, top ten. Um, but if you get caught sort of back a bit, yeah, it, it can be brutal. And uh, you know, then you got the variables on the bike. Um, things can happen to your bike. Other people, you know, around you, depending if it's draft legal or non-drafting. Non-drafting meaning you need to give a gap anywhere from ten to twenty meters, depending on the rules. And you know, there's so many rules involved there. Um, it, there's just so many outside elements that at the end of the day, you've just got to roll with it and just hope <laughs> that, that things are okay. Mm. But a lot of that can be taken away if you've got the best 100 meter get out speed in the swim you're probably not going to get touched much so we work a triathletes work a lot on get out speed you know and mm. trying to trying to get that you know now to do well at the olympics and the olympic distance if you're not swimming 55 to 58 seconds for your for your 100 and you get out speed you're going to be swamped oh wow uh, that, that's a that's a legitimate swimmer 50 no they're very i mean a lot of these guys now that are swapping over like i said came from swimming they right you know, maybe just missed out on the French Olympic team or the Ukraine Olympic team or the the Norwegian Olympic team. These guys are, are coming from these backgrounds and going, oh, I'll go over to triathlon. Um, Lucy Charles Barclay, who's in the longer course racing, she just missed the British team for the 1500 meter mm -hmm. women's swimming this year. And I didn't even know that 1500 was an Olympic distance. Uh, uh, I just uh, bought it in this time. Yeah. 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 So, and she missed by literally a, a fraction. Um, but she leads the swims out for a lot of the women's races but it's that kind of level of swimming that is up front i was not that person I'm the, I'm the one trying to draft off the very best right and my goal was always to look if i can swim a a one minute flat for the 100 but then hold a swim a 215 for the 200 uh, you know a 430 for the 400 that's generally going to have you as a front pack swimmer um in my day it might have improved a little bit since then I got to tell you, I'll be I'll be honest with you here. Um, growing up, I always struggled with triathletes because, to me, and this is this might have been back in the day, but to me, they were less um, concerned technically than they were just about the engine. Just train my engine. I don't care what I look like. I don't care how I do it. Train my engine just to go. And it was very hard to talk to a triathlete. I'm like, if you just focused on a couple of little details here and there. You could be better, but it was almost like, just get out of my head. Let me just train the engine. And is that common? It was common. It was common. And I was one of them. I mean, right. it, it was common. I think the sport is, is changing rapidly. Um, there's a lot of science. There's a lot of physiology now coming into the sport, a lot of bi more biomechanics. Mm. Um, but yes, I was that generation where it was, you know, there's a brick wall. Let's not figure out how to go around it. Let's just go straight through exactly, it. Exactly. Like, yeah. And, and and look, it worked to some degree. And so you you are working three sports. Um you, you get to the point that your mental energy is only going to go so far that you know, the right. amount of times I was in the pool. Actually, it was funny. So my wife Laura, she swam for SMU, actually. She won NCAA um, swimming uh, in the relay, medley relay, oh, wow. butterfly. And then she moved to triathlon and multiple Olympics and far better athlete than I am. And uh anyway, she she um where was I going with that? Technically, was it? Were you talking about it? Oh, yes, yeah. oh, yes. So technically, so we were swimming one time in Noosa Pool, doing a 2K just next to each other, swimming up and down and we get to the end and I touch the wall and, 
and there's a family there and a husband and wife with two young girls, probably eight and 10. And they turned to Laura and they just said, oh, wow, we've been watching you for the last 15 minutes just swim. That was just absolutely beautiful. And Laura's stroke is one of those swim strokes that whether she's sprinting or going slow, it looks the same. Do you know what I mean? Just right. like effortless. And I just, I just love to watch her swim. And then the, the dad talks, goes to me and says, not you so much. You know, I'm like, <laughs> that wasn't I was really not necessary. And, and I do. I come from that old school yeah. open water swimming. I'd swim four to five K in the morning, go down a manly beach, swim the length of the beach with, you know, Guy Leach and Craig Rudington and all the surf yeah. guys. And, and I learned my craft in swimming really with those surf Ironman guys. Um, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of head up swimming. I've got a wide left arm. But I, I'm quite lopy and I'm a bit, I muscle my way through the water. I am not a pretty pool swimmer, but nor are any of our races in the pool. Um, so training with the surf Ironman guys in the morning in the pool and then we'd go and do the open water in the afternoon and ins and outs and all of that kind of training. I just loved it. I love that training. And But with that, yeah, there wasn't this, okay, hand position, elbow catch, you know, shoulder rotation. Um, and that's the other thing. Triathletes tend to be very tight and bound. Mm. Swimmers are very elastic. And, uh, and, and, you know, I was my limited range of motion through my shoulders means I'm limited in the ability of where I can put my, my left elbow. You know, it's if you're tight, if you're bound up, and that can be from being on the time trial bike for a long time or, mm -hmm. or whatever it is, my physiology was letting me down and be able to find that nice position that I probably needed. And my flexibility was probably a curse in the water, but a gift for the bike and the run. Um, you know, I had sort of locked ankles, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. I've got webbed toes, believe it or not. And oh, wow. <laughs> there you go. There's a little side bit for you. And everyone <laughs> thinks I should be a great kicker. And I, I'm a terrible kicker. <laughs> you and just right, kick like this. My, my ankles just don't flex much. Uh -huh. and, uh, but they're great for running and I, I lose no yeah. power on the bike through my ankles. So it's give and take, right? I mean, you yeah. just you work with what you got. Uh, In terms of the decision-making then, who's making the decisions for a triathlete? Because I'd imagine you would have to almost have three separate coaches, but uh, are there designated triathlete coaches now? There, there are triathlete coaches. Um and they try and just manage the whole program? Yeah, they manage the whole program. I, I look, I, and I think it's different for where you are in your career. You know, if you're a high school kid and you're coming into the sport, you know, they've got some great coaching programs in place that do work on the technical side, that are working on biomechanics, that are mm. teaching how to do these things more efficiently. Um, sure. Much We didn't have that when I was growing up. We just went as hard as we could and that was right. it. There is a lot more of that kind of coaching. Um, there are a lot more swim programs that have triathletes in them and the swimming coaches are comfortable with it being a triathlete. It's not, okay, you know, we're not Paris bound with this one as a swimmer. He's right. a triathlon and, and that. And so the, the crossover, the, there's less gap between, say, swimming, biking and runners to triathletes. I think triathletes now fit in all those programs and there's swim, great swim coaches that are working with triathletes and, and vice versa. Um, but I think, you know, once you get into your twenties, there's a different style of coaching uh, that can be more about, okay, now we're really going to work on the physiology. We're going to work on developing that engine. Now that we got the, the great things in place, your technique, you know, your technical aspects are in place. So now we're going to work on building that engine. And then in the thirties, you know, most athletes, if they're working with a coach by that age, it's more as a consultant, you know. Right. And I often consult with a lot of young younger guys now that are getting into their 30s. 
they're just one sounding board. Hey, what do you think about this? And how do you think I get ready for Paris? Or how do you think I win Kona Ironman? Or, um, but but I do think the sport is as a whole is changing because of the, the science and the data. And I don't know who you've had on your podcast, but I've had so many great physiologists on my show. Mm. And I was always this guy, <laughs> run at a big wall. I don't want the science and data. It takes the fun out of sport. Right. But if I was to come back, which I'm certainly not, but if I was 30 and the way I'd be approaching it is uh, a little bit different, um, watching the great Norwegians at the moment that just are, a cleaning house because they're just spending so much time in labs and they're trying to figure out how to become more and more efficient. Um, and they're still loving the sport and they're still having a good time. So somehow they're able to balance the two. Cause for me, I kind of go, Oh, that would sound awesome. Awful having a VO two max test every six weeks, but that's what they do. They do that for swim, bike and run. And, uh, you know, it's is there a, is there a famous triathlon coach named Brett Sutton? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was coached by Brett for, Oh, you were? Yeah. From 96 to, well, before the Olympics in 2000. Yeah. Oh, um, God, he's a hard son of a bitch, man. Yeah. You know why? You know, I know that because I was coached by his brother. I know, Brian, Brian right? Yeah. yeah well, Brian. I met Brian and I met their dad. And, um, oh, God. Yeah. Hard yeah, family. They hard family. They come from boxing in the background. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, they're the four years I had with Brett were really good for me. I, I had some ability. I didn't have loads of talent, but I had enough. Um, mm -hmm. And I was getting by, you know, I was having fun in the sport, never really training. And then, threw myself into Brett Sutton, who was the national head coach at the time mm -hmm. and joined his squad. And he was great for me because he just truly taught me what hard work looked like. Mm -hmm. And not to say I didn't train harder when I was coaching myself later on, but for that period of my time, when how old, I would have been 24, so 24 to 28, I was with Brett Sutton. And, um, you know, we did some incredible workouts. I remember- I bet. Well, one of them was, I'll tell you one because this is one everybody loves. I don't think it was my hardest workout, but people love the story. So I'll tell you it. So we were down in, uh, we're in New Zealand and we're getting ready for, we're in Christchurch, New Zealand. We're getting ready for the Sydney Olympic trials mm. um, for, for the Sydney Games. And uh, there were two treadmills side by side. We'd done a five or 6K swim um, an hour or so before. I just had some food, walked up to the gym, which was right above the old pool there in Christchurch. But this is before the earthquake. And um, he said, Greg, there's two treadmills there. Let's set them to 22.5 kilometers an hour. So that's about 245K pace, so really running pretty fast. And I want you to run 35 seconds on, 25 seconds stand to the side mm -hmm. for as long as you can. I was like, oh. So it becomes a mental game as much as a physical, but right. I'm also got a massive ego. And for whatever reason, I wanted to impress Brett. I mean, he, yeah. he went over to the corner of the room and picked up his newspapers, <laughs> a couple of newspapers, and, and away I went. And uh, the reason there were two treadmills is because I'd get so soaked with sweat on the first one, it oh, needed wow. to dry off, so I, and, I, and it gets too slippery. I've never had that issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Now I just sweat like a pig because I'm so unfit. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I, I get going, and uh, the first 70 or so were really uncomfortable. And then I just got hit this hit this rhythm and i've never you've heard of that state of flow in right. training you know that mm -hmm. absolutely chicks my high i think it's a famous guy that put that in place but he talks about the state of flow and and being in the zone mm -hmm. and i just went into this rhythmic zone and uh i got to 150 so two and a half hours later and, oh, and running wow. so about 38 kilometers worth of speed work 
almost a marathon. And, uh, and it's a great story to tell, but I'll, I'll finish by saying in a moment, it wasn't all great. But And then Brett finally says, okay, that'll do. And there was no like anything. It was just like, oh, that'll do. And I'll see you for biking this afternoon or whatever we were doing. I was like, okay. Oh, shit. But what happened after that, that that actually really taxed me far more than I, because I was in that state of Sure, yeah. I didn't realize. And um, long story short, basically, you know, missed out on going to the 2000 Olympics, mate, because I, I, you know, turned up to the first trial race and I was just white. Overtrained. And that was several weeks later. And But it had affected my my hormones. It had affected Mm -hmm. my sleep. It just, great story to talk about. You know, people really enjoy hearing it. But, you know, I look back and go, okay, that was a big lesson um right i probably overcooked myself for that and uh anyway that that that's my, my no, listen, um, man i can relate i can i can relate there was there's a, there's a period of time in every athlete's life i think where first of all you're willing to do whatever the coach tells you to do it's like absolutely oh, you know no questions asked i'm yeah. doing it and then there's also a period of time if you're good enough where you want it really badly you know yeah. like yeah. you you're prepared to stay on that treadmill because you want it more than the next person and then you said something interesting earlier where you said I wasn't that talented. I, I kind of disagree because I went through a period of time, pro- probably a, a number of years where I, I didn't think I was very talented either. I just maximized my potential. But I think that is talent. You know, I, I think that there is talent in not giving up. You know, a lot of people uh, give up. And so how do you quantify talent in relation to someone that never gives up, you know, who it's just keeps of, pushing? one of the greatest talents there is. I mean, yeah. I, you know, we can talk about physiological talent mm-hmm. you know, some people yep. are born with an 85 vo2 max they're just yep. genetic freaks you can see it yeah they're also the ones that win everything in high school and mm-hmm. generally winning comes reasonably easy mm-hmm. and so when they leave high school and they take on the rest of the world and maybe they made national teams and they oh shit there's other people that over 85 vo2 that, that work really hard and now i'm not winning what's going on yeah. and they've never learned how to yeah firstly they've never learned how to lose which is critical if you want to be a professional athlete, you better be okay with losing. It happens. Yep. Don't like it, but it happens, and you better get used to managing it. And and secondly, they they basically, yeah, they, they they're basically exhausted by the time they get there that they don't know how to train hard. And and I think that they're not giving up. The training hard is one of the biggest talents you could ever get. If I was to build a squad of great athletes. I'd actually do it on personality testing more than physiological. Now, in saying that, I, if you've got a 55 VO2 or a 60, there's only so much you can do with training. You can't put in what God left out. But once you're given a great crew, I want to know the most disciplined and the athletes that are never, ever going to give up. Right. They're the ones, and especially in our sport of triathlon, because our sport of triathlon, as much as we've been talking about physiology and everything, it is about hard work and turning up sure. daily. For sure, for sure. And there's no avoiding that. But then there's also what you talked about of the overtraining, and that's real. It was real for me as someone who swam for 20 seconds in, in a race. You know, I could I could easily overtrain my speed. You know, I got to a point where, where my hormonally I was just fried, exhausted, because I'm speed, 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 speed. Mm-hmm. You know, even, even, you know, trying to build up the other capacities, you know, you're trying to build up your VO2 max, you know, you, you work everything. It doesn't matter if you're a you do, sprinter. You do a lot of weights, right? In, swim, in sprint swimming, you do a lot of in the gym, dry land. We do now. It's certainly developed into a, a good balance between the two. And again, you yeah. can go in the gym and cook yourself, you know, yeah. and then have nothing left for the pool. So I think what, what ends up happening to the great athletes too is you smarten up, is, is you realize that there's a balance of hard work, 
but there's also a balance where you've got to appreciate the recovery. And then I would imagine for you, like, you know, you're coming out of a swim practice or a bike or a run. And, and at some point in your career, you're just shoving food down your face and you don't really care what it is. It's just like, just give me calories. But, uh, you know, there's that smartening up period where I'm sure at some point you probably use some type of nutritionist, right? Well, or you learn, or you educated you, yourself you learn, on nutrition. And, and my wife, Laura, really took took the lead on the nutrition side. Exactly. Um, Someone's got to do it, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. We, were, we were pretty heavily focused on, we were kind of, Gluten less, I wouldn't say gluten free before mm. it was trendy. We were protein focused probably before it was trendy. But you know, I grew up, like I said, in the sport of 80s and 90s, we used to have carbo, carbo parties, you yeah. know, stuffing their face with pasta and whatnot right. uh, the day or two leading into it. And it was all about carbs, carbs, right. carbs. And then obviously the science comes out and says, actually, you know, you've got to be able to fat metabolize if you want to do these longer events. Mm-hmm. But then everybody goes straight into the fat metabolizer. Oh, but now I've lost all my speed. I've got no energy for my, my quick yep. work because yep. I'm fat metabolizing. I'm stuck in fourth gear. Mm-hmm. Well, that's no good either. And so now it's about kind of understanding this metabolic flexibility of trying to figure out what kind of training am I doing? Be specific for that. What right. kind of recovery am I getting? Be specific for that. And, and that's the new science. It's about this ability to when do you need your carbs? When do you need your fats? And everybody's different. And that's why we got to start, you know, you start looking at your glycogen and, and, and all those things that people can now monitor more easily than they could before. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it just keeps evolving. And that's the beauty yeah. of it. That's the beauty of all these sports is I still don't think we've seen the human potential at all. I think we still got a long way to go. And whether we're talking fueling or physiology or for me, the big one is the what you think directly affects your physiology. So this sure. ability of this mental side and how you can affect hormones and how you can affect hormones under duress, how you can affect adrenaline mm-hmm. when you're not in a state of flight, you know, that mm-hmm. how can I get that? For me, the example is I've got 10 kilometers to go in an Ironman. I've been going for seven and a half hours. How can I affect myself with, something that i say or a, a repetition an affirmation that might allow a hormonal release to help me find another gear you know and that's where i think the future of sport is going to go is who can control the brain and the hormones and the way it affects the whole body i don't know i'm still i'm still a pleb when it comes to that but that's where i like to think that it's going to go um, are triathletes using more professionals in that sense? Uh, I'm sure it was just information that was handed down before. You had to figure it out yourself. But now I'm, I'm sure there, there are people that are really specializing in that, right? Yeah, I think the whole sports psychologist has become far more acceptable than when we had careers. Yeah. It's like, well, what's wrong with you? You need a sports psych, whatever. Now yeah. I think they see it as a, an empowering investment to have a sports psych on your Maybe not on your, your your tightest team, but at least on the peripheral that you you need to have a sports psych to somebody that can work with you um, generally with self-belief. I don't know what it's like with your you on your show, but I would say 75% of the, the great athletes I've had on my show, Olympic champions, world champions, have struggled with self-belief and confidence. Isn't, isn't it amazing, mate? Yeah. yeah. I'm same. Yeah. I, I would even I would even bump it up. Yeah, maybe, maybe more. Even more yeah, you know? yeah, maybe it's, it is everybody. I don't know. But yeah. it's uh, you know, the amount of times I ask them, you know, when did you feel like you know you, you got it? And they're like, well, you know, I still don't even feel like I got it. You know, it's like yeah. and 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 I think that's that could be what drives people, mm-hmm. this anxiety. You know, I, I talk about anxiety being a fuel. 
mm-hmm. you know, and the anxious ones are the ones that, okay, I've got a problem. I've got to fix it. I, and that's my fuel. I, I got to go after it. And, and, and I think the great ones have that anxiety, but they learn how to manage it well. Um, right. And, and that then affects your self-belief and, uh, it's an interesting one because there's a lot of athletes, yeah, that still struggle. I mean, I had a guy by the name of Javier Gomez on my show, a Spanish athlete, arguably one of the greatest of all time triathletes, at least in the top four. Mm. And he's got nine or ten world titles. Um, just incredible all round athlete. You know, his his best time for the four hundred long course is at three fifty eight. Like he's a legit swimmer. Wow, nice. Um, in in our world of triathlon. Yep, sure. Um, but he, he said on his most recent episode, he said, Greg, yeah, the thing I struggle with most is just my confidence. And my, I'm like, so we're talking about arguably one of the, it'd be almost like you having Phelps or Thorpe on your show and then, you know, I struggle with the, I mean, did they say that? I mean, you've had these guys on your show. Did they, Were they struggling with that kind of confidence or did they have a deep inner self-belief? I, I think um, they've struggled more moving away. I mean, we're yeah. talking about two of the greatest. You know, you're talking about Phelps, who may may be the greatest athlete of all time. So I don't know if he ever struggled with self belief or self confidence, but certainly, um, you know, had had struggles figuring out who he is after that. You know, I think mm-hmm. I think the, the, there's a couple of people that um, you know. I grew up with Ian Thorpe. You know, he, when I was when I was 20 something he was 16 at the olympic game i was 25 at the olympics so i i was i was nine years older than him but and so i i sat there and watched this kid handle pressure like i'd never seen anybody handle pressure and so i don't think he felt i i don't i don't think he dealt with that type of pressure the way i dealt. i i was i was like nervous as all hell and here here's this kid i think so i think he understood pressure better mm-hmm. than most people you know mm-hmm. when you've got the whole world of of uh Especially in Australia, you know what it's like growing up as a swimmer in Australia in the year big 2000. Time. Big time. Americans maybe don't understand how big swimming oh, is mate. in Just, Australia. Uh, Matt, and, and in 2000, when Thorpe was around and, and mm. the talk of who he was going to be, and the whole world felt like they were just watching – so the, for the way he handled that, it's just extraordinary. Amazing. I couldn't have done that. So yeah, Me either. Me either. Yeah. Some of these um, guys that are able to do that, um, <laughs> actually going back, a little side story on um, Ian Thorpe. So do you know Elka Graham? You know Elka. Yeah, very well. We trained together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Elka, very close friend of mine. We, you know, she was a lot younger than about eight years younger than me. But um, she was training at Manly Pool. We all, we knew each mm-hmm. other. And Sydney Olympic trials. I went out, supported her, and everything. All of the swimmers were heading into town. I don't know if you were in there. Uh, and they had all these. If you didn't make the Olympics, they had these badges made saying. F the Olympics. <laughs> and, oh, wow. uh, so, and I, I was one of the F the, I got lift off, left off the Australian <laughs> teams. I had the badge on, but I was, I drove a whole bunch of you in, in my car into, mm. into town to have a party after the swimming trials. And then we were going from one pub to another and I'd actually had quite a few drinks and I hate to admit it. And I had Ian Thorpe in the boot. I had um, the Matt boot. Dunn. Was it Matt Dunn? Yeah, or, Matt Dunn, yeah. yeah. Matt Dunn, he went to Knox, didn't he? And I had yep. him there, Elka. There was probably about 10 of Australia's greatest swimmers in my car, and I'd had a couple of drinks driving. Hmm. What am I doing? So there's my little side story. I could have <laughs> could have wiped out the whole wiped team. out the whole great Australian <laughs> Olympic team. That would have been a nice little badge, the FU, yeah. to take them out. Yeah. <laughs> they find you dead on the road. With the and it was probably two drinks, but I remember thinking I shouldn't be driving. I, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's yeah. my side story. You can edit that out in case people get upset at me for that. Nah, nah. <laughs> that's that's real. It's real life. <laughs> they survived. You survived. Yeah, so that's a good right. thing. Yeah. 
Um, let, let me ask you about the, the, the expense of triathlon real quick. I mean, it, it's got to be a situation where the how do you afford to do it? Uh, you know, when, when as swimmers, they brought in these tech suits and these tech suits would last a few few runs and they were costing families about 800 bucks and everybody was up in arms about these tech suits costing so much. But I couldn't imagine having to buy, you know, the whole kit for triathlon must run into the thousands, doesn't it? Yeah, this is one issue we have with the sport. I was talking to actually my most recent show recorded with Mark Allen and Dave Scott, and we were talking about that, that getting into the sport is very, you need to be affluent. And um, mm. it's not a great, it's not good that it's like that because, yes, like you said, you you need the swimming gear, which is cheap compared to, you know, you get a bike. Um, and, look, you don't need to spend $15,000 on a bike to have a decent bike. You can get in for much less five hundred dollars to a thousand but it's still five hundred dollars to a thousand mm, yeah. you your running gear and then you got the entry fees i mm. mean these triathlons when i started out they were 15 bucks i'd go up to tari or you mm -hmm. know dubbo or wherever it was in australia and i'd enter these races and they were really cheap and now you know for an ironman you're paying nine hundred dollars oh wow uh, for half ironman or of similar uh, you're probably paying three two hundred to four hundred yeah and then, you know, for an Olympic distance, still probably 150 bucks or so. So you've got all of that, you know, and you're paying maybe for swim squad, you maybe got a coach. It's, it is. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of money to get in. Um, I think there's a lot of clubs out there that are formed around the world, you know, a bit like swim clubs. There's a lot of triathlon clubs that do have programs now for at least the youth that they might be able to provide bikes and, and bits and pieces to help get people going. Um, but it doesn't take long before you're starting to want to upgrade your stuff. And, you know, um, you know, I, I'm incredibly grateful because I had, you know, basically great sponsors for most of my life that provided most of those things. Even when I started out, it was a, a bike that I'd give back at the end of the year, but mm. it was still a beautiful bike. You know, it was, a, it was an insanely nice bike that I could just give back at the end of the year. And I've always had, I always had, running shoe sponsors, wetsuit sponsors, um, that, that really helped. But it is, it is one of those sports where it can add up quick. And, and, and I don't love that about the sport and people are working hard on it, um, but it is a very affluent type sport. So I would imagine that would um, pull out certain um, types of people, you know, let's say, you know. So in terms of diversity, is there much diversity in triathlon? Seems no. Like no, not enough. Um, no, it is a very exclusive right. um, type of group. And it's not something that triathlete or triathlon prides itself on either. I think there's, because it is, it is that kind of affluent group, they also are very aware that it's this kind of, we need to do a better job. Do uh, they? Do they do a better job? Or are they doing a better job? I think they're working. I think if you look at the World Triathlon Federation, the ITU, they're, they're actually doing a lot of programs. I think companies like Ironman could potentially do better, and but I'm not there to criticize either because obviously there's more I could do too. But I think mm -hmm. as a whole, the sport can do a lot better. And especially I think the, the, the sport does well at recognizing and trying to help the youth. I don't think it does a great job in terms of diversifying and, and trying to get other people. Although you say that, I mean, the amount of countries now, I think they had 150 countries or something in the ITU have signed up now and, and they have made it, a global sport it's just got a long way to go i mean at the end of the day triathlon's still very young and it's still trying to find its way and trying to get more people involved 
Um, what about and, in in the NCAA? Is the is the triathlon in the NCAA? Well, that's they've just started that with the women's movement. Um, so they haven't got the men because of the um, Title Nine. They call right, it Title whatever. Nine, yeah. Um, and so the men's program is unlikely to happen. But the women, I think they were up. They needed forty schools to sign up, mm. um, or forty four programs, and I think they were up to thirty eight pre COVID. And I don't know what's happened since then to become full recognized NCAA program. So I think right. they're very they're right on the cusp. Um, which would be great for the sport to have, uh, you know, just really good, strong NCAA programs. Um, even if the the men may not be NCAA, but you'd at least have everything there that if men want to do the sport, they might not be in their other sports. They can at least be there. Um, I, I'm not very – I mean, Arizona State, I think, is the the biggest school um, that, yeah. that win everything. And uh, – but yeah, I, I haven't really kept up the pace. It'd be interesting to see how they figured out the twenty-hour rule. In swimming, you're only allowed to train for twenty hours in college, and it was always like this contentious issue of like, all right, you went 20, 20 hours in one minute. You know, it was like, so how would you pull yeah, that off in triathlon? Laura tells me about that. It's like you got the optional mandatory workout. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it get all convoluted. And someone, <laughs> someone would say he forced me to do the mandate, the, the optional. I'm like, oh god, here we go. You oh know? really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, look, I think. I actually think 20 hours is enough for a time. Yeah. But that would be, I mean, I, I really, you know, I was an athlete that even for most of my career, I was probably between 15 and 25 hours. So that was probably my little really? window. It was the sweet spot. Um, so I think for college athletes, I think that would be almost enough. I think it's, uh, if I was coaching a college program, I, I, I think I could easily design a program and create successful athletes out of 20 hours a week. Um, that doesn't include recovery time or anything like that, but I think that would be for, for physical movement. That's you could do it. I think you'd, you know, if you think about swimming six hours, running six hours, biking eight hours or something like that, it would work. Mm. Yeah. Uh, who's been the most dominant figures in the past 20 years in triathlon uh, for, for men and women? Uh, dominant figures. This is a great debate we have on all the time. Right now, there's a guy by the name of Jan Fredino. Uh, he's uh, from where? He's from Germany, South African background, but German. He won the 2008 Olympic gold. It was kind of his breakthrough race. Hmm. He then performed well up until London and came sixth at the London Olympics, but then he crossed over to the, the longer course, the Hawaii Ironman. Hmm. He's now won Hawaii three times, and then he's won a couple of the half-distance world championships. And his last four to five years, he's almost gone unbeaten. Um, and really? it's not just winning. He's dropped the Ironman... Um, world record down he's dropped the kona the world championship kona race mm. all the way down to seven hours 51 or something and to break eight hours was like no one will ever do it kind of thing it was almost like the four minute mile at that mm. and he didn't just go under he smashed it so he's kind of right now the one that they like to call the goat but then we have guys like mark allen um who in the late 80s there won hawaii ironman six time won the first ever itu triathlon world championships in 89 so he becomes very much part of that conversation. And right. what he was doing was really elevating the sport too, just taking it faster and faster. Because it's not just about winning. It's who's breaking records, accelerating mm. the pace beyond anything we've seen before, right? And then you've got someone like an Alistair Burnley, who I mentioned earlier, and a Javier Gomez. These two young guys just well, – they're not young anymore, but they, they, they just changed the sport dramatically as well, that everybody was playing catch-up. Um, so so that's probably for the men. I think for the women – 
there's a woman right now by the name of Daniela Riff from Switzerland. And uh, she's won Hawaii four times plus five 70.3 world championships. And it's just been just dominant, just so mm. much power on the bike and then runs off a really consistent, strong run. Um, a woman by Australian woman by the name of Makili Jones. Uh, she won Hawaii. She was silver at the Olympics in 2000, but the girl that beat her four or five years later got done for, for drugs. So, and we were all questioning that in 2000 as well, if you know what I mean. So Nikili, in my mind, is a, is a gold medalist from 2000. And right, then, yeah. You know, I was going to ask you that too. Like how serious are they? You know, who are you governed by in terms of the, the doping scene? The same, same as swimming, you guys. We, we've got the WADA that oversees water. everything and then each of the national federations have their programs. Um, and I are think they, are they serious, legit? I think they're serious and legit. And there's not – the thing is with triathlons, maybe like swimming, there's not enough money in it unless it's going to be government run, unless it's – unless uh, like as an individual athlete, my income as a triathlete, even when I was, you know, top of the world, winning the world series and, and doing really well, I'm, you, you still don't have that cycling type world or other sports where there's real big money behind it and almost mafia money behind it. Now, triathlon, for the most part, triathlon has been a very clean sport. Um, in saying that, yes, there's a couple of names that pop up every year and you go, oh, and everybody goes, yeah, we, yeah, we knew, mm. you know, and it really right. is. You could go around and you could ask most of the athletes, you think he's in it? Yeah, yeah. And they kind of come they, from nowhere, do they? Yeah, they come from nowhere and they're just doing something that doesn't, doesn't suit their physiology. It doesn't, you know, you're like, I mean, you probably see it in swimming. Suddenly they're just burst yeah. from nowhere. I mean, it just doesn't smell right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a bit of that. Um, but generally speaking, I'd have to say, the fact that I got to win a fair bit and, I, and a couple of really close mates from Australia that, you know, we all grew up together and we all went to, on to get a few world titles and have decent careers, you kind of go, well, if me and my mates did it, it can't be, it can't mm. be too dirty. Um, you know, I have a couple of races I look back and go, yeah, I got beaten by somebody that definitely shouldn't have been, you know, been there, but it happens. What about this? Tell me this. Who in your recent memory is the world's greatest shit talker uh, you know in terms of on the line during the race after the race you guys have one of those those people out well shit talk but in a in a fun good way i think chris mccormack uh he was my generation and and again probably one of the top 10 greatest of all time you know won hawaii a few times and won the world champs and um he was fun though you know it was uh, these days there's a lot more shit talking than we is there? growing up yeah and i think that's a lot because you know they've got the social media platforms the instagram oh. everybody's got their own youtube channel i feel like every pro now has their own media team basically following them around and, and they're all vying and, for attention and they're vying for attention so you gotta you gotta you want to be heard you better say something that's controversial and uh right and then you know i have half of them on my show and they sit down and they're the most respectful they're genuinely just great people mm. and then they go off to their youtube channel and they're like blah blah and you're like <laughs> oh really and i've actually you know I, I get it i get it and it's i find it entertaining too i think it's great we have more personalities coming out in the sport you know i think in the past it was everybody just does their work and stays in the line and everybody's a hard worker and right and now we're getting a bit of personality so i think it's actually great for the sport 
I love having them on my show. You know, it's, it's always mm. have some of these bigger personalities come on the show. But is uh, there anyone big enough now? You think that that's ready to cross over in terms of star power? You know, like you know, everyone's going to recognize that person around the world. I think Jan Frodeno's almost there. When he won the Laureus Sports Award, so the Laureus Sports Award is a global sports award. You know, Lewis Hamilton right. wins it from Formula One. Right. Um, Ronaldo, mm-hmm. these guys all win it, and Jan Frodeno won it. Oh, wow. triathlon so when, when he did that um and plus his endorsements have now they've surpassed the sport i mean he's a six foot four good looking german you know it's it's that sinewy athletic look he, he encompasses mm. everything um so he he's doing the best by far i mean but he right. is arguably the greatest of all time uh, who's doing that for swimming for you guys Oh, wow. That's a good question. And this is kind of part of the debate we're having too, is is that we've got this professional swim league going on around the world right now called the ISL. And, and part of it is there's just, um, they're not exposing the personality enough. The racing is there and the, yeah. and the fun and the, you know, hanging out together, but the, there's no one, uh, swimming is very weird in terms of that. No one's really willing to shit talk, you know, and I, I wish there was more of it. And you know, you don't want it to get to the point where it's kind of MMA like, where it's it's almost. No, laughable, no, no, no. It's still got to be respectful. I mean, I, I yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm not somebody that I don't. I think we need to be go all boxing on each other, but no. I do think calling each other out is okay, and doing it yeah. in a respectful way is entertaining. Yeah. And you got to remember, a professional athlete is an entertainer. Yep. And and this is where I I hope, I hope some of the swimmers pick up on this. Is like you you're now in the entertainment business, you're guys. In- you know. You're an entrepreneur, you're an entertainer, and you're an athlete, all bundled up into one. Yeah, and that's what the beauty of it, where mm-hmm. you can go with it, it's it's amazing. And uh, once people realize that they're meant to be out there entertaining, not just winning. Like it's one thing to cross, you know, touch the wall first, good on you, and jump out and put your hands in the air. But you've got to think about what are you going to say to the media. Yep. Think about. I remember Chris McCormack saying, "Yeah, I'm always thinking about the quotable quote." Mm. quotable quotes when you get out of the pool one of the things i do in the US, i go ah that bastard he bloody almost got me right so i played out yes i played on the australian a little bit but i'm talking uh, to american media what what do you think they run with in the newspapers and magazines i love those quotable quotes and that yeah. really it's still got to be authentic i mm-hmm. get it mm-hmm. but you still want to entertain and uh you know, there's some big personalities in swimming, especially you sprinters. You got you sprinters have all the personality, and you just want to hear it. Well, um, yeah, everybody, everybody's friends these days. I wish they could just mess mess it up a little bit. I'm trying to rough the waters up in my podcast, bit, you know, trying, to, trying to get it out of them. There's a young guy by the name of Michael Andrew, and and he comes from a family, you know, who've raised him to be this star. He turned professional at 14. Kids don't do that in swimming, you know. So uh, he he's kind of a little bit polarizing in in terms of. Um, and, but he has his own, you know, YouTube kind of thing, and, yeah, and he yeah. does all the social media himself. He, he and he's really switched on. He he really is. Um, he, he we can't get any shit talking out of him, but he, he's he's so he's so nice. But he's fun, you know, and and he and but he understands the media really well, and he understands uh, having an audience. And um, but yeah, so he's yeah, kind of we, we have guys like Lionel Sanders from Canada has just done such a good job with his YouTube show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam Long, who just lives down the road here. Some of these guys, American guy. They're, they're doing they're entertaining they're entertaining and yes. i know it gets under the thing is when you put yourself out there and you you promote yourself you're going to be loved or you're going to be hated and yeah. you're just going to deal with it it's like us with our shows you know you, you're vulnerable you put yourself out there you do your best you can there's going to be some people ah, you know, yeah whatever yeah. and other people love it and uh and i think the more an athlete can realize that they're not 
just a physical athlete. If you're professional, you're now an entertainer and you're an entrepreneur, you run a business. Mm -hmm. And the business of being a swimmer or a triathlete is it's a full-time gig. It's real. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think, you know, if they get the opportunity to be on your show or my show, you take it. You say yes. You say I yes agree. to everything you can. I agree, man. Yeah, eat it up. I'm, I'm, I'm freely willing to promote you. I'm going to tell everybody how great you are. Exactly. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you want to do it? Exactly. I'm not here to tell you down. I'm here nah, to promote nah, you. I get it. Nah, I know. You know, throwing a little controversy here and there, but you know. Yeah. Like but um, well, in terms of your show, just promote it one more time. Tell everybody where they All can right, find guys. you. All right, guys. Yeah, the Greg Bennett Show. It's uh, really just talking to the some of the greatest high performers in the world, whether they be athletes, doctors you know, sports scientists, entrepreneurs, entertainers. Um, yes, the low-hanging fruit uh, triathletes uh, for the most part, but it's, uh, you know, it's like yours. It's it's an hour and a half generally, hour, hour and a half of just great conversation with mm -hmm. people doing incredible things and, uh, you know, loving it. Only the best have been, ever been on it, including Brett Hawke. Um, <laughs> right. and, and it's found everywhere you, you you're on youtube yeah, now too yeah, right yeah well i put on it I'm, I'm unlike you i just do audio at the moment um so i'm just an audio i am on youtube you can listen to it there but otherwise wherever you find a podcast i come out every monday every now and then like tomorrow i'm bringing out one early just because there's a big world championship on saturday so i'm going to bring that episode out early but otherwise it's uh every monday every monday morning um uh, just really great conversations with people are you yeah. like me sometimes where you record it and you just think to yourself, oh, I can't wait till this one gets out. Like there's some good stuff in there. Every now and then. And then my wife goes, how did that one go? I'm like, oh, I don't know. And then it, it really tracks really well. I, yeah. I, I'm still trying to get the metrics on my audience to really figure oh, out yeah. what they love. I feel like sometimes the ones that I truly love, mm. you know, but this is, you know, if I bring a Jan Fadino on and we have a nice chat and I'm like, yeah, that was good. It was a good chat. He'll download 10,000 people like that. If I bring on a, um, you know, a, an entrepreneur or an mm -hmm. entertainer that I was like, that was awesome. Mm -hmm. But my audience is still largely triathlon. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, whatever. And, you know, yeah. like, oh, you guys have got to listen to that one. That one was really yeah. special, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You connect with it. You're like, oh, that was incredible. Like this yeah. one for me, like the triathlon. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I love that. You know, because I'm, I'm like – asking questions that i just don't know the answer yeah, to it's a chat. In the swimming i kind of like running. teeing people up you know yeah yeah exactly i know uh, how's your show running these days oh it's good man it's growing you know it's it's awesome we put out two a week um and and, and, cool and we just lot, started a we just started a live show actually which for me is just as fun like 30 minutes yeah. a week we bring in some special guests we yeah. just talk about current events in swimming and and i really don't care who watches it or not but it's fun and and i think people are starting to you know, catch on to the idea as well. So we've had some copycats out there, but in terms of uh, what I'm doing, uh, man, I just love it. I just love talking to people yeah. and sharing it. To, to me, it's like it, it, other people think it's my job where I think it's my hobby. You know, yeah. it's just like, hey, I love doing it's this. job in the world though. If you can make your hobby your job and uh, I can't believe you're doing, that's incredible. You're doing two shows a week plus a live show, mate. That's a lot of work. Who, who, yeah. Shout out who, to your team. Who have you got working for you? Who, I got I got a, a guy named Nate who is uh, everyone knows him as uh, Swim Nerds. He he makes pace clocks. That's his full time job. He does yeah, yeah. He, he does clocks and uh, basically just brought him on board and said, "Hey, you want to partner up with me?" So I do all this stuff, and then as soon as we we hit end here, he'll do all the post stuff. Like he'll 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 do all the thumbnails and he'll I do all the you know the typing up of all the 
script and I, I don't touch it after that. So it's like, hey, he's I like, hey, it's night. ready. I need a night. <laughs> you do, you do. There's so much awesome, work. And that's the other thing. I think people don't realize how much time and effort oh, goes yeah. into podcasts. And it's yeah. it's a, it's work. And then once you start putting the video out, it just like triples the amount of work. You I know, do mate. Well, it, well done, mate. Good on you. I mean, it's, it comes down like we said earlier in the show. It's like this relentlessness of just turning up, right? Every that's week. it. That's just it, keep, mate. Keep grinding to keep turning up. If you want to be successful in podcasts, I can give people a tip here. And I'm not sure if you're the same way, but I am. This is the way I approach it. When somebody says to me, when do you want to do it? I say to them, I'm available whenever you want to do it. I'll go at 2 a.m. in the morning because I talk to people in England, Australia, all that. I'm like, they're like, well, what time does that match up for you? I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. You tell me it's you tell me it's 11 a.m. for you and it's 2 a.m. for me. I'm doing it at 2 a.m. So there's, there's many times and maybe my audience doesn't see this, but there's many times where it's pitch black and it's like 2 a.m. and I'm doing a podcast. because Oh, you're a good man. I've done a few like that mentality. where I get up early. But honestly, you know what I've just started doing, and this is a shout-out to this company, is Calendly. Mm-hmm. Calendly. Oh, right, yeah. You set mm-hmm. up your calendar. And so what I do first is I send that out to the, the guest and I say, look, if you can find a time on there, great. Yeah. So I put my favorite, what works for me. And if there isn't, I will, then I do the whole Right. 3 a.m., 4 a.m. But <laughs> although I don't, I don't offer the 3 a.m. for everybody necessarily. There are special people yes, that you're yes. like, I've got to pin that person down, and yeah, I'm yeah. like, I'm whenever. Well, and living in the US, I have to do that with the Australians quite often. Yeah, the Aussies. Yeah. The Aussie, the Aussies. Oh, if you're on the East Coast, or I'm in Mountain Time right now, but getting the Aussies, that's uh, you guys. That's a harder one for me. Yeah, but, a uh, one for me. Yeah. Well, Listen, mate, I've loved this. I uh, appreciate your time and energy. Yeah. Um, uh, congrats on the show. Yours is doing awesome too. So um, thanks for enlightening me about triathlon today. I've, I've of course, really, mate. really appreciate it. you having me on, mate. I really do. And uh, I hope I didn't bore your listeners too much talking triathlon and not swimming. <laughs> no, listen, mate. I think there's, look, like you said, there's going to be a lot of people that listen to this and say, I either want to do a triathlon for fun or I want to do it serious. And he's just, taught me you know there's there's real work involved here and this is how i can do it so yeah um yeah good stuff mate appreciate right. it Cheers, buddy all right thanks greg take care Bye. mate so the magic five custom swim goggles now i gotta tell you i really love these things i did the scan i got the magic five app and i held up my phone to my face it took a scan of my face within 10 seconds it shoots it off gets processed And within a couple of weeks, I get these brand new goggles that are custom fit to my face. No leaks. The gasket fits perfectly around my eyes. I got to tell you, these things look beautiful. They're they're good looking goggles. They're super clear. I can see out of the peripheral. Everything is as I would want it. Custom fit. Use code BRETTHAWK20 to get 20% off your own pair of custom fit Magic 5 goggles. These things are incredible. I highly recommend them. All strokes, breaststroke, backstroke, butterfly, freestyle, perfect fit to your face. Get yourself a pair today.